0: On this Good Friday 2021, uh, we're going to look at um, seven things that Jesus said from the cross. Uh, Seven, of course, is a very significant number. It's a number of completion. Uh, He speaks seven different times. Three of those times he'll be speaking um, to the Father, the first one here, and um, also the last one. Um, last words I think I mentioned on Wednesday we went to um, Matthew chapter 26 and I mentioned it would be two days until the Passover and, but before that says after he had said these things well after he had said these things was the Olivet Discourse Matthew 24 and 25 my point is this is the last week of Jesus' life And people, we like to say, it's time to get your house in order or or whatever. And things that are important are sometimes said in your final words. So the Olivet Discourse took place during the last week of Jesus' life. And I mentioned on Wednesday it would have been two days until the Passover. And uh, I'm gonna get into without debating it, was Jesus crucified on a Thursday or a Friday. And that argument has been going around for a long, long time. And uh, so whatever viewpoint you have, good for you. <laughs> and I'm gonna pretty much leave it at that. But here's, here's some last words of people throughout time. and, and um, For instance, on the day that Karl Marx died on March 14th, 1883, his housekeeper came to him and said, tell me your last words and I'll write them down. Marx replied, go on, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Uh, The the last words were very revealing to P.T. Barnum. As he said as he was dying, what were today's receipts? Napoleon said, chief of the army, the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said his his last words, Jesus died for me. And John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist um, denomination said the best of all is God is with us. So in the study this afternoon as we consider the seven sayings that Jesus made from the cross, his seven last sayings, uh, these statements are very important to us not only because of the person who spoke them but also because of the place where they were set. When our Lord was doing his great work on earth, he was uttering some of his greatest words. These seven last words from the cross are windows that enable us to look into eternity and see the heart of God on a personal note uh, when we visit Jerusalem, we like we like to walk the wall. And when you get close to the Damascus Gate, this would have been the gate that we believe uh, the Lord would have come out of, because it's very close to the garden tomb, and the garden tomb is very close to the place that um, we call Golgotha. Uh, there's a lot of types, a lot of pictures I believe, of, um, of uh, the crucifixion. Probably the biggest one is Abraham offering Isaac on Mount Moriah, and he was supposed to travel there. And after th- three days, the Lord says, I'll show you the place on Mount Moriah. Well, there's seven mountains around um, Jerusalem, Mount Scopus, Mount of Olives, Mount Zion, Mount Moriah. Those are just a few. Well, the interesting thing here is if you're going to sacrifice, usually they would always go to the top. You never usually stopped halfway up to do your sacrifice. So what most Orthodox Jews believe is that uh, Abraham offered Isaac where the Temple Mount would be. It's at 742 meters above sea level. Well, when you go outside the Damascus Gate, it's a continuing hill, Mount Moriah going up. So the top of Mount Moriah, um, the Temple Mount is at 742 meters, but it continues to rise until you get to the top of Mount Moriah, which is an interesting number, 777 meters above sea level. And it says within walking distance from here to the back of where the sound room is, to the garden tomb. I am personally persuaded that Jesus was executed by crucifixion, um, the most cruel form of Roman punishment that could be handed out, uh, just outside. So when we're going around and walking, we stop at this place, at that vantage point, and just look down. And to think here is what I consider an A-spot, the very place that the creator of the universe placed the sin of mankind at this particular place. And then when we go to the garden tomb, it's owned and operated by the, uh, I'll show you a picture of that on Sunday, owned and operated by um, the Brits. Um, They have a very strong, Uh, argument why not only is that the garden tomb, but Calvary just being right next to it. So with that being said, let's look at um, our first statement that would have been, and let's turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 23, and as we look at verse 34... Let's begin at verse 33. When they had come to the place called Calvary, that's why we're called Calvary Chapel, there they crucified him, and there were criminals, one on his right hand and the other on his left hand. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do, and they divided his garments among them. Now, we're in Acts on Wednesday evening, and we just finished up Stephen, after he preached the gospel, um, they stoned him and killed him. And as he was dying, he looked to the Lord, and in Acts 7, verse 60, his final words, Stephen's, was Lord, Do not charge them with this sin. Now where do you suppose he got that from? He was modeling as we are to model um, because they didn't understand uh, what they were doing. And then it says he just went, went to sleep after that. And so there was this hatred and this animosity against Stephen because he was proclaiming uh the gospel and remember they gnashed at him with their teeth and they they couldn't take it any longer so they just finally killed him. And um let me just do a little side um little rabbit trail here about what I believe is coming in 2021. Last year on Easter Sunday we had ten people here <laughs> And uh, that was one year ago. Um, These days, it's hard to find a seat. But um, persecution is not only coming, it's it's here. I got a video today from Bastia. And in this video, it's about a minute and a half long, it shows a church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, um, they were live streaming, but then they sh- saw people coming in and they kidnapped three people on the worship team and the pastor at gunpoint and uh, this is one of the big things that 's happening right now down in haiti and and around the world, and it 's intensifying against Those that would stand against um, a one world government Um, and uh, we're on, on the fast track to that. I read an article just this morning on the only hope is revival. My problem with that is my Bible teaches just the opposite. That there'll be a falling away and when I come back will I find faith on the earth? People are growing indifferent, indifferent towards the scriptures. In a lot of places, they don't even read the scriptures, uh, much less talk about current events and tie them into what's happening as we speak. So this happened today, or yesterday, and Bastia said it to me today, it shows the guy's coming up, he's packing, the guy who did the kidnapping, and they're holding him for ransom as much as two hundred to $300,000. And when I talk to Basti about this on the phone, it says even if they give them the money, many times they still kill the victim. So they can't be um, recognized. What's your point? Well, they hated Stephen for what he had to say. And again, I want to encourage the families, especially you men, um, take a stand. No compromise. Good place for an Amen. In these days, guys, we have to. We cannot compromise. And there are people out there who are, who are looking. Isn't there anybody gonna stand up for this? Many people know that the church has gotten really lukewarm. Clearly, we are, as a majority, 80, 90%, the church of Laodicea. We think we're rich, but we're really poor. And um, uh, we wanna be the Church of Philadelphia. Little in strength, keep the word of God. And the Lord says, because you've done that, I'm gonna keep you from the trial that's gonna come upon the entire world. Now, what trial besides the flood is gonna come upon the entire world? Answer, the great tribulation. He says, so if you keep my word, I'm gonna keep you from the hour, the great hour that's gonna come upon the entire world. So we're talking about the rapture of the church here, and he will take us out because he has not appointed us to wrath. a good place for an amen? amen? So even though it's getting dark and darker um, and even though this is um, might be a reality, um, we have purposed it here to have security in case some wacko would want to walk in the back door with, with whatever. We got guys stationed around just in case. So I thought it would, uh, Paul's greatest regret, I think the Apostle Paul, his greatest regret um, is that he participated in the killing of Stephen. I believe even though he knows the Lord forgave him, I believe it ate at him his entire life, that he was a part of that. Uh, He was radical. He was the most radical of those who persecuted the church until the Lord got his attention, of course, on the road to Damascus. So what we have here is this first um, saying, um, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We find, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 26 with me, please. The fact that Jesus was on the cross at all, Many times, he would say to his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed by men. Um, I will be crucified, and on the third day I'll rise again. And he said that more than one time. But in Matthew chapter 26, um, I mean, yeah, 26, let's pick it up at verse 36. You gotta remember that Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And we find in that humanity and him understanding the enormity of what was about to take place. In one place we read, praying in the garden that he sweat great drops of blood. The emotional state of his being had gotten to such a place, they say that that could actually happen. Picking up in verse 36, then Jesus came and said to them in a place called Gethsemane to his disciples, sit here and I'll go over, over there. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. These will be the inner three. I'll be referring to them a little bit later. Peter, James, and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here, watch and pray. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was basically saying, if there is any other way, if there's any other way that man can be saved except that I go to that cross, then that's what I'm voting for here right now. So the humanity part of Jesus, Jesus did not want to go to the cross. And he understood much more deeply than what we ever could. Just think of your own personal sins over your life. You know, all of them. What do you mean you don't have that much time? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> multiply that times eight billion over all the people who ever lived. That's what we're trying to put in perspective here. And Jesus is aware of that. And he's saying, I'd rather not, if there's any other way, Father, that you could accomplish this. But there was no other way. He was the Passover lamb. He had to be perfect. And the fact is, he was Jesus said, I don't think I've come to destroy the law, I haven't come to destroy it, I've come to fulfill it. What does that mean? Well, all the 613 commandments, not just 10, but all. of them He never violated one of them. The Passover lamb was inspected thoroughly, otherwise it couldn't be offered. If there was a blemish, it was rejected. Jesus fulfilled dying on a cross on Passover he was the Passover lamb and he didn't want to do it but he said nevertheless not my will be done but yours then he came to his disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter what could you not watch with me for one hour isn't it true that our spirit is willing but our flesh is weak I know I should pray more I know I should read more I should fellowship more with the Lord. I know all those things. And the fact of the matter is the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We have feet of clay. And um he goes on to say, Wash and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, and here it is, the flesh is weak. So here we have um this first statement. There was no other way. It had to be Jesus. Because he was perfect. Never sinned once in thought, word, or deed. His entire life. Now the second statement um, from the cross is in verse... Um, well, we got to go back to uh, Luke 23 for this. So let's go back there. Luke 23 in verse... 30, well, let's pick it up in verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were uh, hanged on the cross blasphemed him, saying, if you're the Christ, then save yourself and us too. But the other one answered, and he rebuked the other th- um, thief, don't you even fear God, seeing that you are under such condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And now the second thing that Jesus said from the cross, he said, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. I'll catch this, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise cannot be heaven because Jesus is not going to ascend for three more days into heaven. So if that's the, if that's the case, he has not yet ascended, um, the question arises, where in the world is paradise? Paradise is not heaven here, paradise is in the center of the earth and it's called Abraham's bosom. So as I think about um, this man, let's just think about his good deeds. didn't have any, he was a thief. Oh, he was never baptized. Never went to church, never went synagogue. Had nothing going for him. He openly said, we deserve what we're getting. And yet, and I want to share this because it's not a matter of words you say here or raising a hand here, it's all about here. And Jesus saw in this man's heart repentance. I do believe you're the Lord and I, well, would you remember me? That's a sinner's prayer. Would you remember me when you enter the kingdom? That was it and the Lord promised him today. You're going to be with me in paradise. But that place, I'm going to quote something here because we're going to get into this in a more detail on, on Sunday. I'm going to quote now Hebrews chapter 10, if you're taking notes, 13 through 16. Again, Hebrews chapter 10 is basically a list of all the Old Testament saints who died in faith. And they are listed, and it mentions why they're known for their Faith. Um, Moses was known for his faith because he chose to suffer with his brethren than to inherit all the riches of Egypt. It was a choice that he made. But in verse 13 it says, concerning these Old Testament saints, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Guys, as time goes on, that's gotta become more of a reality. Because if you start getting your your hooks rooted and grounded in this world, this world is going in the opposite direction. And so, I love this term, pilgrims and strangers. And the, the term, we're just passing through. You have to have that attitude, this is not home. We sing this song, this world is not my home. Um, we can sing it, but in a lot of places, um, this really is what it's all about for a lot of people, the here and now. P.T. Barnum, for sure. <laughs> for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. In other words, they're saying, this isn't home, right here, right now. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they came out, they would have had an opportunity to return, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. Future tense. But what i to what point out here, now we'll have more on Abraham's bosom on, on Sunday. Um, and we find, um, hear him just saying, Lord, remember me. So let's go to, now we're we'll going there on Sunday. Let me go to the third statement here, which we find in John chapter 19. So let's turn to the Gospel of John. Chapter 19, verse 25. And we read, now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Copus, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and his disciple, whom he loved, standing by, John always referred to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved, he said to his mother, now this would be the third statement from the cross, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. We're going to read a little bit later in John 20 that evidently the disciples had homes. And um, we find, um, I want you to turn to. what's happening here was actually foretold by a guy named Simeon. And to find Simeon, we need to go to Luke chapter two. So let's go back to Luke chapter two. We had a baby dedication a couple weeks ago. And I explained a little bit why we don't have baby um, baptisms but we do dedicate. Well, it's the eighth day and um, Um, they're bringing Jesus to the temple let's pick it up in verse 21 and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of Christ his name was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses was completed they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said of the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now, this tells us something about Joseph and Mary. It tells us they were poor. Because if you were wealthy, you would have been bringing lambs. And that's what would have been offered. But it says in the law, if you're poor, then you can bring a pair of turtle doves and two pigeons, would have been, which would have been much less costly. So we have a little bit of insight on Mary here and Joseph. And they're going into the temple in verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was waiting for the Messiah. For it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he would see the Lord Christ. So he's there looking around every day. Is that him over there? Maybe that's him over there, well, maybe over there. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, now I, got a, I received, I've had this in my office for a countless number of years. I'm gonna put a picture on the screen to try just to show you the emotion that I believe this man was carrying. Imagine every day of your life waiting for one event because God said someday you're going to see the Messiah. And so this man, whoever did this picture, um, uh, captures it pretty well, don't you think? And so his name is Simeon, and um, you can leave that up for a while, Thomas. And he took him in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, Now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said, to marry his mother. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. How true. Jesus said, don't think I've come to bring peace. I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. That when I present who I am, there will be those who will believe on me, and there will be those who will deny me. And then he goes on to say, Uh, for a sign which will be spoken. And then he says this to Mary, and this is the reason I'm bringing you to this verse. He looks at her and he says, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let's go back to Luke 23. And what we read as the third thing that Jesus says to from the cross is woman, behold your son. And then he says to John, John behold your mother. What was happening at this point is, again, I can't put it into words, but a mother looking at her son dying and what was being fulfilled here is what Simeon said to her, a sword Someday is going to pierce your heart. Her heart's getting pierced right here, right now. And um, um, the Lord's concern for her was translated over to John. Again, John was part of the inner three. Um, John referred to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. And evidently, it says that from that moment on, he took him uh, to his his own home. So evidently, he had a home. All right, let's go to the fourth statement from the cross. Matthew chapter 27. If you'll turn there, verse uh, 45 tells us, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth, that would be the time frame we're in right now, if we would be back there Um, until the ninth, there was darkness over the whole land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lami sabachthana?" that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Turn with me to Psalm 22. I've mentioned that many of the Psalms are messianic. On Palm Sunday we were quoting from Psalm 118, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well here David, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins Psalm 22 with this very saying. Matter of fact, there's more, description of the suffering of what Jesus went through in Psalm 22 than there is actually in the Gospels. It begins with verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words from my groanings. Go to verse seven and eight. All those who see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lips, they shake their heads saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let's go down to verses 14 through 18. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shred. Remember, someone else had to carry his cross because of the beating that he took in the whipping. My strength is dried up like a pot shred. My tongue clings to my jaw. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Um, This idea of crucifixion, when David wrote this, David lived... um, Um, 3000 BC, roughly that period of time, roughly 3000 years ago, a crucifixion would not have even come into the picture as a form of execution until the Romans. And so they pierced my hands and my feet, and I can count all my bones, they look and they stare at me and they divide my garments among them, and for my clothes they Cast lots. And so here we have um, this darkness, this plague, um, the statement from, from the cross. And let's make our way back to uh, Psalm 22, not Psalm 22, I mean Luke 23. And it goes on to say, let's pick it up in verse. Let's pick it up at verse 44, where we go on now to the fourth statement from the cross. It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And we're told that in another place that it was torn from the top all the way to the bottom, and I'll be touching more on that on Sunday. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit and we have I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here let's just go to 43 um, 44 there' was darkness over the face now this darkness in Egypt during Passover the ninth plague that God sent to Egypt was three days of darkness a darkness so thick it could be felt we're told now that, That is weird, that you could actually feel the darkness. Here was a darkness over Egypt before the final judgment of the Passover. So now we have darkness, a judgment taking place for the sins of the world, and it's during this period of time that we have, um, again, the Passover lamb. If you didn't have blood on your door, If you had blood on your door, then death passed over your house. Thus we get the name Passover. So here the same idea with the darkness. Those that would accept Jesus, now the Lord Jesus is having three hours of darkness. I wonder if God was not saying that this was an hour of solemn judgment. Now is the judgment of the world, said Jesus, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. We go on later to read that if Satan would have known he was gonna raise from the dead, he wouldn't have allowed this event to take place. So there are certain things he's privy to and there are certain things he's not. And then he says, and if I be lifted up from the earth, and he was, I will draw all men to myself, John 12. Our Lord's death on the cross was a very solemn, serious, holy event the darkness of, of uh, being separated from the Father. You see, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I can grasp living forever, okay? But I can't grasp always being. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been. And through that always being in eternity where there is no time, um, they were never separated. Never, throughout all eternity. This was the first time he is forsaken. And that's what he, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the, again, it's recorded, the question, why the separation? why was he forsaken of the father well that we might never be forsaken of the father he was forsaken of the father so that you and i would never be forsaken by the father another good place for an amen it's in my place greater love has no man than this that a man would lay down his life for his friend and that's what the lord is doing did he want to do it no but it wasn't gonna go according to his will. That's what the word says. And that's the other thing that we gotta be careful of is our human emotions. Well, I don't, I don't think, uh, I can't tell you how many, I have several friends of mine that became universalists. And you say, well, what's a universalist, Dwight? And that's a person who believes that everybody goes to heaven. One of my Christian friends says, Dwight, you just don't get it because you don't have any kids, you just got a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you had a kid, then you'd understand. And what's, what's happening here? Well, emotion, it's all emotion, but it's not biblical. Universalism is that all people go to heaven. And by the way, that's been adopted by the Pope our Jesuit Pope, first Jesuit Pope, in case you're not familiar with the term the Jesuits, their primary goal was to make the Pope Lord of all everything, including the governments, so he's a globalist, he's a Jesuit, and he's just embraced Islam, and it's all the same God. I'm wondering why Catholics aren't scratching their head and jumping up and down and saying, what in the world? Who is this guy? Well, he's got, all, he's got all the potential to become the false prophet. And in Romans uh, Revelation chapter uh, 17, we know that the city that the Antichrist will destroy is Rome, the city of seven hills. So we know that's all gonna happen. So we, we find that um, this great darkness, um, around the cross and a greater mystery, the loneliness on the cross because he's never been separated before. Gang, I can't put this into words for you. Always being with him and then being separated and you say, my, why? My God, my God, why? Have you allowed yourself to be separated from me? And um, that. Suffering was probably more of a suffering than actually the torment of the crowns of thorns on his head and the the whipping and the beating. Uh, This was probably more painful to the Lord being separated. Let's go to the fifth statement, John chapter 19, picking it up in verse 28 and 29. After this, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled said, I thirst. Well remember in Psalm, we were just back at Psalm 22, I won't have you turn back there, but in verse 15, one of the things we read about is suffering. He says, my strength is dried up like a pot shred, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws thou hast brought me to the dust of death. He'd been on the cross for three, um, these many hours now, going on six hours, and um, um, he said he thirst. And with that, um, they took a vessel of sour wine, was sitting there, and they filled it with a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it up to his mouth. Um, This also, again, you guys know that whenever I get a chance, I like to connect the Old and the New Testament together, and I like to point out how many prophecies there are. I I really actually believe you can't do a, a Bible study through a chapter without quoting an Old Testament Bible verse, and that's called prophecy. So we have one here. Um, this prophecy of, um, of the sponge and the sour wine and, and the gulk is actually prophesied in Psalm 69, verse 19 through 21. You can turn if you want to or I'll just read it for you. Psalm sixty nine, nineteen says, "'You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. "'My adversaries are all before you. "'Reproach has broken my heart and I'm full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. And they also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. So here was a prophecy that is being fulfilled in the fifth statement, by the Lord I thirst. The sixth statement is in John chapter 19, of verse 30, as it continues on, now he can move his tongue, and he's able to speak again. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. We today do not like to face the horror of the cross. We have embellished the cross. We have all, almost beautified it. We've made the cross into a piece of jewelry, but you must remember that crucifixion meant shame. Shame because it was probably nakedness, torture, and a slow and agonizing death, usually lasting two to three days. Um our Lord Jesus was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross as Philippians two verse eight. The sixth word from the cross is recorded in John nineteen thirty, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar he said it is finished and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. When you compare the four gospels together, you discover that he shouted this statement. He didn't say, it was finished, no. He triumphantly said, with a loud voice, it is finished. He cried it, and then he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. He was 33 years old. At the age of 33, most people are saying, it's the beginning. But at the age of about 33, Jesus was saying, it is finished. He did not say, I am finished. He did not cry, it was not a cry of defeat, it was a shout of victory. In the Greek language in which John wrote, this statement was one word with ten letters. It's the word tetelestai. It is finished. It stands finished and it is always, will be finished. I like to say paid in full. And there's nothing more you can add to it. All of Hebrews chapter 10 makes this point over and over and over again that Jesus Christ died once for all time. And it never needs to be done again. And one of my biggest problems, and I know I'm talking about Roman Catholicism's because Roman Catholicism right now, is um, the continuing act of the Eucharist. Uh, the service is based around the Eucharist where only a priest can take a wafer and tell you that this is actually becoming the body of Jesus Christ, and that this is his actual blood. And this is done on a weekly basis because you have sinned since last Sunday, so therefore, you need to have your sins forgiven again. Well, Hebrews chapter 10 uh, makes a big issue of this, making it extremely clear one sacrifice, one time. Remember the example of Moses, when he was told to speak to the rock instead of strike it? He had to strike it the first time, and water came out, people were satisfied. Now Moses, the people are complaining again about the water, I want you to go just speak to the rock and it'll bring forth water. Moses was ticked off. And so he he said, must I bring water out of this rock? And he struck it twice and the Lord said to Moses, over here Moses, you just wrecked an Old Testament picture. First Corinthians 10.4 tells us that rock was Christ. Hebrews tells us that if he's stricken once, he never needs to be stricken again. And it is anathema, actually they say what I'm saying right now is anathema. Because if anybody says that you can get to heaven without the Eucharist or being a part of the Holy Roman Catholic Church, then you're not gonna make it. But the Bible teaches just the different, just the opposite. Picture form Old Testament, Hebrews 10, and here one time. It is finished. Nothing can be added to it or taken away from it. And he's the only one that could accomplish it. Paid and pull the price for our salvation. The most valuable commodity the universe has ever known is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Get an amen on that? There is nothing more valuable. Nothing more, the life is in the blood. And it's, it's a little confusing here because you would, there's one more saying that We have, we have seven statements, we're only on six. The last one we find is tied together and it'll make sense when we read it. It's Luke chapter 23 and we'll be looking at verse 46 which tells us, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice. Okay, now we can put the pieces together. When Jesus had cried out with a loud voice he said, Father, this would have been the third time he spoke directly to the Father. Remember the first one? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, and having said this, he breathed his last. And so what we find, um, notice in the sixth statement, uh, he cried out, he said, it is finished followed by my Father into your hands, I commend my spirit. First of all, he actually died. Jesus died. His death was not an illusion, he actually died. The Lord Jesus Jesus had a real human body. He experienced all of the sinless infirmities of our human nature. He knew what it was like to grow up, he knew what it was like to eat and to drink and to sleep, and our Lord Jesus knew what it was like to die. He died, actually. His death was a real death. John recorded that the officials checked very carefully to make sure that Jesus had died. When the soldiers came to look at the bodies of the crosses, they discovered that Jesus was already dead. Now they broke the legs of the other two. Now the reason for that was the Sabbath was coming and that couldn't be taking place, so they quickened and hastened, which would have probably dragged out for a couple of days. Um, of course, the only way they could get breath was to push himself up and down, and when you break the legs, you can't push yourself up to get the air, so they died of suffocation but not Jesus. Um, He released his own spirit when he knew everything was accomplished. It's all been done. The reason for him coming into the world um, had been accomplished. When the soldiers came to look at the body of the cross, they, they discovered that Jesus was dead. Therefore, they did not break his legs, and when Joseph, and Nicodemus wanted to get custody of the body of Jesus to give it a decent burial, they had to check with Pilate. And Pilate marveled that Jesus was already dead. Um, The official evidence of the Roman Empire was that Jesus actually died. That's on their account. And they turned the body over to Joseph of Arimathea. I'm going to close this afternoon with um, you're not really prepared to live unless you're prepared to die. Um, I think of so many people right now that have so much and they're some of the unhappiest people I know (laughs) because anything that you possess or have and it seems the more that you have, the more you realize um, um, how futile life is, it's empty. I remember Chuck Gerard telling me before he was saved, he's pretty well known in a group called the Hondells, and he was with Frank Sinatra, cocktail party. And, uh, and he was just cruising around the house and he stumbled into Frank and Frank was doing this. He was standing in a corner with a martini in his hand, going, he was hitting his head against the wall. And Chuck told me he was saying this, there's gotta be more, there's gotta be more. Talking Frank Sinatra, okay? Probably one of the most famous singers that ever was. and um, And yet, it was empty. And so you really Can't live unless you're prepared to die. So what happens if they take this pastor that was kidnapped, hold them for ransom for $200,000? Who's got $200,000 in Haiti? So what's going to happen to this guy? Bastia says even if they pay up, they kill him anyway. Well, that's probably the best thing that could ever happen to that pastor. What did Paul say? Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? He says, you know what? I'd rather be with the Lord than be here right now. But he says, it's more needful for me to be here right now to teach, so the Lord won't let me come home. But if I had a choice, <laughs> I'd, I'd pick, let's go home. So the worst that could happen to these people that were kidnapped and killed, um, I mean, what a great place to go. Uh, stand behind the pulpit. <laughs> That actually happened to Bastia's father, true story. Um, He would get up at four o'clock in the morning, drive his um, uh, bicycle out to where Hinch is today, and he actually inherited his his father's church. Well, his his father died at uh, I think the age of 48. He had just given the morning message, walked out the front door, had a heart attack and died. What a great way to go home. (laughs) Get done preaching, walk out the door, and die. (laughs) And it's all over. So the hope that we have, death is going to come. It's inevitable. I picked up my taxes yesterday. That's inevitable. You got to do it. And it cost me over 200 bucks. Every year it goes higher and higher and higher. And... I don't believe, I mean this sincerely, um, but so did Chuck for that matter. Uh, I don't think we're going to see natural death. Paul says there is, death is going to happen to everybody except for one generation. One generation is not going to see death. They're going to be transformed, we're told, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, just like that. And we're gonna be from one place to the next. Twinkling of an eye, is pretty fast. And we're gonna go from here to there, that quick. And for what it's worth, the, the way I things, see things happening co- so quickly that um, I, I believe I'll see the rapture instead of physical death. Amen, amen is right. Um, what is, what is Good Friday? Well, we have confidence, and you don't have to worry about death. Jesus' seventh statement from the cross tells us about death and how he died. And, um, you know, he was around Sunday, we'll um, explain what happened in between the three days from Friday, we'll explain that. We'll explain what happened in the morning, we'll explain what happened in the afternoon, we'll explain what happened on, on, um, in the evening. And we'll look through all three of those um, this Sunday. And um, with that, Lord, what language can we borrow? That which can't be into words for our gratitude for all that you've done, knowing it was impossible that there was no other way, And yet you yielded your will to the Father's will. And you took the sins of the world upon yourself. And when that veil in the temple was rent from top to the bottom, separating the Ark of the Covenant, the holy place, from the holy of holies, giving us now direct access to boldly come before you, knowing that we have a mediator, a high priest who lives forever, who continually intercedes for us, all because of Calvary's cross. So, look past our words and into our hearts and see our gratitude and our gratefulness, Lord, for all that you've done. And we will continue to remember, through communion, um, that which you've asked us to do, uh, the most important event in human history, your death and resurrection. Pray for Sunday, Lord. We know there'll be new people that'll come out just because it's Sunday and it's Easter. And so we do pray ahead of time that you prepare their hearts and that people would uh, hopefully be a little bit more shaken up this year because of the events taking place in the world and hopefully more open. As for us here, we love you. We thank you so much, Lord, for your grace and the work that you've done on the cross for us. In Jesus' name I pray, all God's people said, Amen.